0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, excited to be able to continue our series in the book of Romans, Set Free, that uh, we have been looking into even last week, talking about how we are declared righteous, how we are justified before God. And then we go into this week and we see how we are set free from sin. We're going to be in Romans 6, this amazing, thick, beautiful, rich passage of Scripture, so I encourage you to pull out your notes, your Bibles, uh, Bible on the back of the seat in front of you, and just open up there to Romans 6 as we uh, start to look into this, how we are set free from sin. Now, there's a few ways that I think uh, we sort of mess up this whole Christian life in some way, or even when we think about how we're declared righteous or how we're justified before God, and, and a, a few of these ways that, that we mess this up, one is moralism. Okay. This is where we would just think that as we are trying to live a life, uh, after the way, you know, Jesus' moral guidelines for society would be, how can we do good deeds and, and be a good person and all of these things that we would do that in such a way that that would earn salvation, that would earn eternal life by the good things, our moral behavior. That's one way we can mess it up. Another way is through legalism. Now legalism would be just a little bit different, I think, in that we create this system of, of rules and disciplines and regulations upon our life that maybe that we wouldn't lose our salvation or that we would put the, the focus, the problem is that the focus becomes on those rules and on those, those laws and regulations versus on Jesus and a relationship with Him. But a third way that we would mess it all up is through something that we call cheap grace. And that's a term coined by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that is just this, this expression that is, you know, I, I've been forgiven. I'm going to go on being forgiven. So why not just do whatever I want and just sin and who cares? And it's this, this look upon grace that, that treats what Jesus Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. It, it treats it cheaply and just as this look that who cares what I do? It doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want because of grace. Well, Paul, here in Romans 6, really speaks into some of these ways that we look at handling sin. You know, some of these ways that we respond to sin. And he, he looks at them, I think, in some interesting ways. So I'd like us just to read Romans 6, 1 through 11 now. So follow along with me as we uh, get into this first half of this chapter. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death... Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with, with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we see here that in contrast to the cheap grace, the moralism, the legalism, that that Paul's showing us here that... That the way that we are to sort of handle sin is through this relationship with Christ. And what we'll see maybe more in chapter 8 is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we can walk in newness of life in Christ alone. So that's, as we look into our first point today, that we can walk in newness of life, though, when we die to sin. When we die to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now that's a little bit of those like what? What do you mean? How do we how do we die to sin? One of these expressions in the Bible that really when you try to think of it sort of makes no, just on the surface, sense for us. Like, what what do you mean? How do I die to sin? Well, it's a common question. You know, even how do we deal with sin or why do we continue to sin? That sort of question is, is pretty common and it's a natural question. Now, we even received an email this week from just someone after listening to last week about how we're declared righteous Just had a question about this and there's permission and anonymously read the email. It says, I'm a a very thankful believer in Jesus Christ. I love him because he loved me first. But at times I struggle with feeling more like Adam than in Christ, especially when I've blown it with my kids, my husband, etc. I'd like to know your perspective on this. I wish my head knowledge would match up with my heart and my feelings. Hopefully you can shed uh, some light on this for me. Well, we hope to be able to do that uh, today, that we can shine some light on this question, that this this question of like, why do we keep on sinning? And, and I think within this, I, I like to say one thing, that you can't be sinless, but you can sin less. Like, you can't be perfect now, you know, you can't be perfect. There's this sort of already but but not yet aspect to this part of our lives. But even, you know, when we say you can't be sinless, but you can sin less, that's not even the point. The primary point or goal isn't that we would sin less over the course of our lives that's not the end goal for us that is hopefully as a way we are growing but you see here even in in Romans 6 in verse 1 and verse 15 that these questions are asked like you know should we just keep on sinning like like there's a sense even in those questions that that we want to you know that that temptation is real that the the allure the draw of sin is there it is real for all of us and i don't want to say to you that you would think that It's like there just would never be that allure, that sin would never be tempting, that we would not be enticed by it because we will. So I don't want you to feel like you failed or you've done wrong because either you've been tempted or because you blow it. That there is this sense that we are drawn towards sin and we can be drawing more towards Christ. And that is what I would want us to do. And that my recommendation even was when people say, like, I want to be able to to... Sin less. How do I do that? You know, well, one thing that I think is that the more that we think about what is good or the more that we pursue good, the more we dwell on the things of, of, above and the more that we pursue love and good deeds, these sorts of things, the less that we're sitting and thinking about stopping doing bad stuff. But if we're sitting around thinking about all those things that tempt us, those, those sins that are most alluring for us, and we're just saying, I got to stop doing that. I got to stop doing that. I got to stop doing that. Our focus is on the sin. Right Where we want to place our focus, as the scripture says, we put our focus upon love and good deeds and dwelling on the things above that, that Christ would have us to dwell on. And the more that we're focused on those good things, the less I think that we're thinking about that. It's kind of like uh, exercise and food, okay? So here's, here's what I mean by that. For me, when it comes to eating, I love food. I love to eat and I like to eat a lot. That's what I wish I could do all the time. And when I, if I could choose what to eat, it would be Monday pizza, you know, Tuesday meatball sandwich, Wednesday hamburger and Thursday like a huge wet carne asada burrito. You know, I mean, if I could just repeat that cycle over and over again through life, that would be ideal. Now I know that I need to be healthy and I can't do that or I might die if I were just to continue to repeat that cycle. And so I know I want to be able to eat healthy. I want to stop eating that bad stuff. But if all I'm doing is sitting around thinking about the meatball sandwich, you know, I'm just, I'm, I just want the meatball sandwich, man. You know, I'm just going to go eat the meatball sandwich if I'm just thinking about that. But what's interesting is that when I exercise, and let's say I know I'm going to exercise after work that day, I, I know that exercise is good for me, but I also at noon when I'm going out to lunch, I'm a lot less likely to get the meatball sandwich because I want to, because I feel terrible, you know, after work when I'm exercising. And it's like this sense of pursuing that, that which is good, as like in, in this whole exercise analogy, you're, you're pursuing that exercise thing, you're a lot less likely to eat the junk, you know, for lunch. And so as we are pursuing good good deeds, as we're considering Christ throughout our day, then we are much less likely to just be focusing in on that sin. And so we can be, as it says in verse 11, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, this whole concept of being dead and then alive, it's kind of, uh, again, it's, it's hard to understand. But think of yourself with this concept of being alive. Like, a lot of us still feel in bondage to sin or you're plagued by regret and anxiety. And I just want you to consider, have you really grasped what this means What this means beyond being just morally formed and considering your your moral behavior. And yeah, we might obey the rules, but does that mean we're alive in Christ and dead to sin? Now, one thing that that Paul does here in this passage is he makes this uh, analogy or he he uses this image even of baptism. He talks about baptism in verses 3 to 4 to help us show what this means. Now, in baptism... We are, uh, we are submerged in the water. And as you can, you can check out in verses three and four there, as we, we are submerged in the water, immersed in the water, we identify with the death of Jesus Christ. And we are dead to sin. And as we rise up, we identify with the resurrection, that we are alive in Christ. As Christ died and rose again, we identify with his death and resurrection. And we take on The identity of Christ. Now, the whole thing of water baptism is really an image or a a symbol or a picture of spiritual baptism. Okay? Because at the point of conversion, that's when that stuff actually takes place. That you are dead to sin and alive in Christ at the point of your conversion. When you are declared righteous, that's when that happens and you take on the identity. And I don't know if you know, but the, uh, the Greek word baptizo, as it means to immerse, it really is also, it doesn't just mean to dye, D-I-E, but it was actually used uh, back in, in biblical times of to D-Y-E, to dye cloth, okay? To take fabric and to dye it. And when it would be submerged, as the cloth would go and be baptizoed, a <laughs> little english greek mix there, as it would go into the dye, and as it comes out, it is, its identity is now changed. At our spiritual baptism, our identity is changed. And it, is, it can never be taken away. That we have now been made new. We are made different. That we are identified with Christ. And so people would understand that this word is used when they're talking about dyeing fabric, right? That, that, and that's what we've just done, where we've seen how now we are made new. That we have become dead to sin, we've become alive in Christ, that we are declared righteous and everything has changed. And so in light of that, in light of what Christ has done through his death, through his resurrection, and now that we get to identify with him in that, that we are made new, so should we sin more so that grace could increase? No. But guess what? If we do sin more, grace still increases. That's kind of the cool, like, mind explosion about God, right? Is that he says, don't do that. No, should we go on sinning so grace increases? No, may it never be. But if you do, his grace is still going to increase. And that's what's so awesome about God, that you cannot out-sin God's grace. You cannot out-sin God's grace. It will always be bigger, but let's not cheapen it. By not taking it seriously and not seeing it for what God has done this incredible work for us. And then living differently because of that. So how do we die to sin? What's what's the way, the one way we die to sin? Faith in Christ. Okay? The one way to be dead to sin is faith in Christ. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one and only way that we can actually be made dead to sin because of what Christ has done. When we are in Christ, we can be dead to our sinful surroundings and be alive only in Him. It's kind of like being in a spacesuit in space. That it is this environment of death and you can be dead to these surroundings around you while in the spacesuit and its capabilities. While in the spacesuit... You're alive and can be alive to this wonderful experience of walking on the moon or whatever, right? That that you are alive in that. Outside of the spacesuit is death. In the spacesuit is life. That's like in Christ, for the believer, is life. And you can be alive to the experience of living for God and all that that comes with it, all the benefits and glory that comes with it. Outside of the spacesuit is death. So we want to be in Christ. Now, we know that, but so then how do we walk in newness of life? How do we walk in newness of life? It is that one, I believe, that we would pattern our life after the life of Jesus. We would pattern the way we live as we see the example of Christ. We believe that we shall also live with Him. We live with Him. We pursue a life that shows that we are united with His death and resurrection, that we bear fruit, we love one another. We proclaim the gospel, we multiply ourselves, we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, all of this sense of that, that we are patterning our life after his life. We want to live the kind of life that Jesus did, but it's like, how do we not sin? Is there anything else within this passage that would help us? And there's one prescription that this passage has that's kind of odd, and I, I hope that it hopefully could be helpful for you. But the prescription that we would see here in verse 11, it says, "...even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus." So we consider. Now you're like, what? What do you mean we consider? Right? Hopefully you're thinking what or else you're not even paying attention at all because it's kind of weird. So we consider. What do you mean we consider? Well, here's what this word consider means. Logitamai means to take an inventory, okay, to reason, to reckon, to meditate on. And it's in this tense, this present imperative tense, which means to continually, constantly consider, That we would continually, constantly be meditating and thinking and taking an inventory of our lives of how we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Now imagine that if each day you were to begin that day or at some moment in the day, you were to take a moment and consider this. I am dead to sin and I'm alive in Christ Jesus. When I am in Christ Jesus, I know I can be dead to sin. I know that I can have victory over this. And that moment of remembering that, we are focusing, we are dwelling on the things above, continually, constantly considering our position in Christ. We're less likely to be thinking about the sin. We're less likely to be feeling like failures. We're much more likely to recognize ourselves as victors over sin because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so I want to challenge you to consider considering. Okay, and so whatever method that you would have for remembering to do something, you know, we've done even all sorts of weird things in the past before where we've given you some bracelet or you've put some sticker on your phone or you've done, you know, some sticker on your alarm clock or you put like a, a background on your computer or your phone or whatever that is that you would remember. It's just so I encourage you, do whatever it is that would help you to remember to consider that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. What does that mean for me? Who am I? How should I then live? And then we take uh, the next step in this passage into the second half, where we want to look into how sin will not reign in our lives when we are enslaved to Christ. So let's read 12 to 23, okay? It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body, kind of the parts of your body, to sin uh, as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or obedience, resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as uh, you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. It's kind of like there there will be consequences to your sin. Do you want to have those consequences, or do you want to be sanctified, to be made more holy by God? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin will not reign in our lives when we're enslaved to Christ. Just even there at at verse 12, therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body. I want us just to even have a, a moment of recognizing what this is saying. It's saying don't let sin reign in your mortal body to have mastery over you, to have rule over you. It's not saying, you know... I think there's a difference between sin reigning over us and then we blow it every once in a while. You know what I'm Do you understand what I'm saying there? Like, that's where I think that when we think, because I blow it every once in a while, oh, I'm not really saved, or oh, the Holy Spirit's not real, or oh, you know, all this is fake, and forget it, I'm giving up, you know? There's a lot like where that can happen because we blow it every once in a while. But no, I think we can genuinely have victory over sin, having a reign over our lives. And that's what I want us to consider. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness so here's another one like how why why would i ever be enslaved to anything this whole slavery analogy is just a little bit crazy for us these days it's pretty difficult for us to have the kind of context that they would have had for that very common when he says i'm speaking in human terms you know because you can't understand i mean slavery was something that they would see all around them And uh and and they're they're seeing then how they can apply this to being a slave to Christ, not a slave to anything else or anyone else, but a slave to Christ. And so how why would I be enslaved to anything? I I I want us to start with this. These are six hundred and thirteen pieces of paper representing the law. The six hundred and thirteen traditional Jewish laws from the Torah. Okay, that these are the laws. When it talked about you're not under law but under grace. Okay, if you if you're supposed to follow the law, here's what you have to follow. You know, this giant stack of laws right here. And now some of these laws are, you know, you, you kind of get it, I understand, like I can I can do those things, right? I love God, fear God, not make an idol for yourself. Uh, then it's like, to burn a city that is turned to idol worship, like, that's what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to burn a city that's turned to idol worship, so, okay, crud, what am I supposed to do to Vegas now, and then, you know, like, (laughs) to obey the law, and, you know, men must not shave their beards with a razor is another one, and so that's why I've been growing this beard, because I've just been personally kind of challenged by this, and, you know, so if you shave, you're a I like this, to bless the Almighty after eating, Deuteronomy 8.10. So when you pray before your meal, you are sinning and breaking the Torah. You're supposed to do it after you eat, okay? So just so you know, if you forget and you start eating and then you bless the Lord afterwards, you're actually doing it right. So that's, there, it doesn't talk about anything else in, here in the Bible. Okay, so then, you know, not to crossbreed animals so ligers are evil and make, make a guardrail around flat roofs so we have, we're called to a higher standard than OSHA or zone codes and zoning laws, that we are called to something higher here according to the Torah. Well, you know, these are the laws that we're supposed to follow. Let me, are some of you breaking those laws? I, I would say yes, that we are breaking those laws. We are no longer under the burden of those laws. Paul says in verse 15 there, you are not under law, but under grace. That burden of living up to all of that. And by the way, From the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there's a lot, there's a lot more to come for you. I could get out a few more stacks, right, of things that we are supposed to do. But we've tried to earn God's love, right? We've tried to earn it through following the laws, through moral behavior, through legalism. And we've tried to earn eternal life. We've tried to kind of find favor with God through that. And I I would guess that most of us have gone through cycles or seasons or maybe right now are still doing that. And it's kind of that whole hamster on a wheel thing where you're expending all this energy, but you're not getting anywhere. But if we can listen to God as the one who is telling us these things, these commands, these ways that he would have us live our lives. That God is saying, I want you to live this way. To see his commands in a way that, that leads us to freedom. I think that it, it's different. So I want to even unpack that a little more. Because we want to be free. But this whole thing of being enslaved is kind of crazy. But there are some acts of freedom that will destroy freedom. Okay? Because slavery might be difficult for us to understand. But there are acts ...that we would have, that we are free to do, that would destroy freedom. Now, here's what I mean. It's kind of like when you get your driver's license. Here's my uh, first one I got. Uh, here's my driver's license, about one inch shorter and 60 pounds less. But, uh, you know, when I remember getting my driver's license when I was 16 and two days. And I was so mad about those two days that I was freaking out because I wanted my driver's license so bad. There's so many young people these days, I do not understand why they wait till like 18, 17, whatever that is, to get your driver's license. I wanted it. Those two days were an eternity because I could not wait for the freedom that was offered me when I got my driver's license because I didn't only get a driver's license. I couldn't find any actual pictures, so I found a, a replica picture of the car I had. It was this. It was a 1974 brown Volkswagen Dasher. This is just a thing of beauty that I got to drive around when I turned 16 in two days. And I remember getting in this bad boy and driving down the coast highway. I lived down in Capo Beach in San Clemente area. And being able to drive and go check out all the surf breaks that, that I that I loved by myself, on my own. It was like the world was massive, and I had just all the freedom I could ever have, even when I stalled on the hill next to Ole Hanson Beach Club, and everyone was honking at me. You know, I just still remember that first day, all that freedom. But, you know, and you, you get your driver's license, you have all this freedom, but you also have it within a certain framework, Right? of rules and guidelines where I couldn't just go then down and... I mean, I, I was free to go drive off the pier in St. Clemente. I was free to, you know, speed and crash into people or I was free to slam through my living room wall and park, you know, park there in the living room. Like, I have those options, but that was not... You know, those things would destroy my freedom. Those things would really destroy my freedom to drive, especially. But, um, you know, where, where for us, we we have like this, there is this thing where we are free from the law as the rule by which we will be judged in the end. We are free from the law as the rule by which we will be judged in the end. But the law guides us to the proper way to use our lives. Okay? I want us to see that, that we are free. We are no longer under law, but under grace. We are set free from that. But like, Choosing to do whatever you want, that's not really freedom. That's, that's kind of ridiculous, actually. But really, as, as we see the law or following God's guidelines for our lives, is the proper way to use our lives. Like, I could you know, go grab one of these guitars up here if I wanted to dig a hole. I could grab one of those guitars and dig a hole with it. right? I, I'm free to do that. But that's not the best use of a guitar. That's not the proper use of a guitar. You could have come in and come and sit in these seats... And you know, you could have just come in those seats and sat on your head, like stood on your head on the chair or just started eating the cushions or something. You know, that's not the proper way to use a chair. That the proper way for us to live our lives is righteousness. Righteousness is that proper way to use our life. We submit ourselves to the system that God has designed for us, much like that driver's license. Because we don't just do whatever we want. We, but we do have, and what freedom really is, is the freedom to choose your master, is what it's saying here. You are free to choose your master. People in biblical times, let's say, or with slavery, they don't have choice. They don't have a choice of who to be a slave to. And so Paul's saying, hey, look, you're not just a slave to whoever you've been, you know, taken to be a slave by, that you have a choice. Are you going to choose... To serve sin or to serve Christ. You have a choice. You choose. You can choose sin and you can choose all of the benefits or consequences that come with it. Or you can choose Christ. Righteousness. Sanctification. Eternal life. And so we've already... He says we're already a slave to sin, right? You're already a slave to sin. So why would you not just choose to be a slave to Christ? Because when you are a slave to sin, you, you're dead. You're earning it. It says even the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. You're earning death. And you've earned ultimate death. But you're also sort of dying a little bit every day. You know, that your life... When you're in those seasons, especially where you know that you are defying God and there's actions of sin that that are taking place in your lives, that you are dying a little. You're becoming less human, less of what God has created you to be. And so, on that side, we earn death. But then on the other side, eternal life is a free gift. And I want to illustrate this whole sense of of that being a free gift, because I think that for a lot of us, that eternal life has, whether we've learned that in the church or whether we've kind of learned that just through our own guilt, right, Uh, through our own guilt leading us to this, is that eternal life for us is sort of like it's being held out on a fishing pole, you know, or something like this. It's a carrot dangling out there on a stick waiting for you and saying, okay, it's like moralism, right? Oh, do good. Be a little better. Oh, you can get it. You know, come on. Here it is. Eternal life's waiting for you. You know, and so I don't know how you learn this. It could be through your parents or your little star chart, you know, in your classroom or whatever that was. But it's like, hey, here's the eternal life coming. Oh, no, no, you did a little bit, but I'm going to pull it back a little bit more. and you can You can earn this eternal life if you just are a good person. Just love a little more, do a little more good deeds, whatever that might be, you can earn it. Now, another thing, another way, kind of going back to those three things we talked about before, is like the legalism thing. Now, legalism takes uh, takes eternal life, and you've already got it, right? And it's it's on your back, but you got all these rules and guidelines set up because if you don't You know, follow all those. Someone's going to come and the enemy's going to come and take it away. And so you better start running and you better keep running because someone's coming to snatch that away from you. And you will lose eternal life unless you follow all the rules in just the right way. Because, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if God's big enough for you to actually be able to hold on to that. And then the final is the cheap grace thing. Cheap grace wears eternal life like a backstage pass. And it's like, hey... I got the eternal life, you know, and with and it'll enter any house of sin and commit any any sin that goes against God. But it's like, hey, hey, no big deal. I got it. Check it out, you know. hey, I'm in. You know, it's like the whole backstage pass thing. And so cheap grace takes what God has done and just uses it as a ticket to do whatever it wants. And that's just and that's just not the case. That's not what God says. God says that all of this that. That eternal life, eternal life is a beautiful, beautiful gift. And so why would we do righteous things? Why would we do any of this? That we do righteous things out of obedience. Uh, Yeah? We don't do them to get set free, to be accepted by God, to be more loved by God. Perfect love cast out fear. We don't we don't do it out of fear. We do it out of love. That that God wants us to obey out of love, that that we love God because he first loved us. And so we have to become good at receiving love, right? That we have to receive love from God then to be able to give love to to others. And I think about this even Like when, with my parents, when I was younger, I think I obeyed, I followed the rules of my parents out of fear, right? I was afraid of whatever consequences that it would be. And as I think as I've grown older, I've recognized that if my father were to say something to me of, hey, Eric, I think you should do this, you know, in your life, I would obey what he is saying out of love for him and out of respect for him. And thinking, wow, maybe he actually would know. He would have the wisdom to know something a little bit more than I do about what my life should be like. And then I even think about about marriage. You know, like would I, uh, you know, in a healthy marriage at least, right? Where you would like not love to manipulate the other. To try and get, like even when we love God, to try and get something from God. But we love I love my wife or I do good things for my wife because she's awesome, you know? I do, like, because she's amazing and I love her. And so, like, we think about God and we love God, we respect God. Would not the God of the universe have some good thoughts for how we should use our lives? Would not the God of the universe be so amazing that we would want to obey what he would say is a good way to use our life? To me, that like, makes so much more sense than fear and being afraid or God's going to smite us or whatever those consequences might be. Because the good news, the good news is that as we think we have to do so many good works and good things and stop doing bad things to, to move towards God, is that God actually is moving towards you. That God in that whole time is moving towards you, and he says, here, I give you this gift of eternal life. And now you could choose just to reject it or accept it. You have that freedom. But God says, here, I give you eternal life. It's a free gift. You can do with it what you please. It's your, you have that, that freedom. But now that it's been given, here's the thing. Now that that gift has been given, he shows you the best way to live. Like, not a system of beliefs. We haven't given up everything. We haven't dedicated our lives to God for a system of beliefs and rules. No. We've given up everything because of Jesus, to be slaves to Jesus, because of love for him, because he's amazing, because he's awesome, that's why we love him, because he first loved us, that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, and Jesus, that truth, will set you free. Jesus will set you free from sin. We can be dead to sin and alive in Christ as we consider him. We can know that we can have you know, victory over sin having rule over us when we are enslaved to Christ. We have true freedom when we're a slave to Jesus. I hope that this helps you. I hope that this helps you, one, to understand Romans 6 a little bit more. In 35 minutes, we can go, we can go a lot farther in a lot more time. But I also hope that this helps you understand who you are and why you would ever live for God in the way that you would live. That What should your motivation be? How can you have freedom over sin? And so what I'd like to do is, is in a moment, we are going to... Uh, We're going to have a time of worship, a time of singing. That you will have a chance to come and to take communion at the stations that are around the room. That you can remember what Christ has done. His death and resurrection. We remember His death. That He gave His body for us when we take the bread. That He shed His blood for us when we drink for the cup. You can give your offering. But you don't give it to earn God's love, acceptance, or salvation, or any of those things. You do it because you know, out of that worshipful motivation, out of love. And and then what I'd like to do now is you, you'll also later be able to pray with people at the the prayer points. But what I'd like to do before we begin to sing is just to, you know, to put your stuff down, but have you stand. And I want to speak some words of blessing and affirmation over you. And have you really, so stand now, go ahead and do it. I want you, as you're standing there, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take in these words, these life-giving words from Jesus speaking to you. Then we'll pray, and we'll enter a time of worship through singing. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Even when you feel like a failure... And you are full of worry and regret. God loves you intimately and infinitely. And he's conquered death for you through his power. You are declared righteous. You have new life in Jesus. You are alive only because you are in Jesus Christ. You are alive You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer earning death. You are now a slave to Jesus and his righteousness. You are made new. And God will complete his work in you. And the gift of eternal life has been given to you freely. But eternity starts today. Eternity starts today. Walk in newness of life. And maybe if you don't feel this way about yourself, you feel completely in bondage to sin. Maybe you've never accepted that gift from Christ. And this doesn't describe you. I'd encourage you as we pray, after we pray, to go talk with someone, pray with someone today. Talk to Jesus Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so much that you have done the work of all of this, God. That your death and your resurrection is what makes us dead to sin and alive in you, God. Lord, thank you that you have given the gift of eternal life. And Lord, thank you that we cannot outsin your grace. But I also pray, God, that we would not cheapen it. And I also pray, God, that we would learn how to properly use our lives. God, may we learn how to hear your voice as good and full of life and freedom, Lord, and not as full of guilt and fear. Thank you that you are so amazing, that you are worthy of being worshipped and worthy of being followed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.